Welcome to Virgin Territory, a podcast brought to you by SHIP. Each episode brings you new guests and new topics. We ask all the questions you are dying to know, from dating, sexual education and wellness, to kink, polyamory, and everything in between. Now please welcome your host, Vima Manfredo. Hey everyone, this is Josh, normally your sound guy for Virgin Territory. This week, for episode 20, we've decided to do a little bit of a takeover, where I will be interviewing our next guest, a dear friend of both mine and Vima's, Mike Joseph. Hi, Mike. Uh, Hello, Josh and Vima. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, Vima's probably nodding that she's doing well at this point. I'm hiding. I'm the sound girl today. (laughs) So, Mike, uh, if you want to just take a couple seconds here at the beginning of the podcast and just introduce yourself and uh, what it is that you do. Sure. Uh, First of all, thank you both for having me. I appreciate it very much. My name is Mike Joseph. I'm a podcaster. I host a couple of podcasts, and I am also a musicologist. I am a former music critic. I am a mental health educator, and I'm a sexuality educator. Um, So I, I wear many, many different hats. It sounds like it. You and I both are kind of the same in that we wear many, many different hats. But not wearing a hat right now. No, no, you're not. That is true. Although the weather is is such that we probably should be wearing hats. Yes, agreed. (laughs) So uh, we got a couple of things in there. Um, So one of the things for our listeners that actually brought um, us to Mike was actually uh, his work with the podcast uh, Detoxify. Uh, where I served as a guest there. And so I'm just curious, did did anything in your in your professional career with music or whatever else actually lead you into Detoxify? Or what was the driving factor into creating that podcast? It's not the Detoxify factor, too, I'm sorry, by the way. It's, it's Detoxicity. Right. Detoxicity, <laughs> that's cool. Um, I don't think anything on a professional level really drove me into doing the podcast. I... Um, Mental health has has been a a topic uh, uh, of importance to me for quite some time. And I I think a lot of the issues that I've had with mental health have tied into masculinity in a lot of ways. And I've, over the past maybe five or six years, I've become very vocal speaking about mental health issues in general. And as a result of that, I realized that there were a lot of men out there who didn't feel either didn't feel like they had a safe space to talk about their mental health or uh, didn't really know how to talk about their mental health and all that that encompass, encompasses, whether it be, you know, parenting, uh, sexuality, uh, work-life balance, any of that stuff just didn't have the vocabulary to talk about that stuff. And uh, a few years ago, I co-created with some friends of mine in the uh, polyamory scene here in New York City, created a men's group that met in person. And uh, I I think I just figured I I have podcasting experience. I have radio experience. Why don't I turn this into a podcast that more than this group of 12 to 15 people can listen to and have conversations with people and just kind of dig and explore and get people in a vulnerable place and and talk about stuff that it really doesn't seem like people allow themselves to speak about or hear very often. And that's really how Detoxicity was born. So in in that early stages, when you were kind of doing this this men's group, and and I know you and I have talked a little bit about men's specific spaces uh, that allows that opportunity to to have that open vulnerability. did you find that when you started off, at least with that small group, that you could be vulnerable or could you actually talk about topics that you probably couldn't talk about in other circles without having that vulnerability? Or is, I guess what I'm saying is, is that a prerequisite to moving forward in those types of conversations? For me personally, it is. I'm a very open book. I, I actually think that my candor sometimes freaks people out. Because I am, uh, I, I am relatively radically honest, uh, particularly when it comes to things that have happened in my life, and um, I, I think everybody's experience is going to be different. Some people have to warm up, and then they're able to speak more freely. Um, but for me, it was just like I'd already gotten to a point 
between therapy and, and all the other stuff that I was doing for uh, self-improvement, I'd already gotten to a point where I was like, look, I have nothing to hide. I'm going to talk about whatever is on my mind at any given moment. So let's talk a little bit about uh, detoxicity. Um, so I've been, a, I just mentioned earlier that I've been a guest on that and I've listened to quite a few episodes, though I will admit that I'm not all caught up yet. Um, there are a lot but, of them. But my, my commute allows me to listen to at least, I'd say about two and a half um, episodes coming, going to work and coming home. So I'm slowly getting there. Yeah. Um, and so I, I've sensed a theme with a lot of your guests. Um, it seems more recently... Um, some of some of your guests are breaking beyond your music background, um, but all of them seem to have a very similar thing. They're comfortable talking about what it is that makes them men. But you also started this, it appears, with a very particular focus on um, breaking down toxic masculinity. So, right. it, so you have you have two competing things here. You have um, these safe spaces for men to talk, but then you also have to deal with toxic masculinity and how those guys all deal with that, or at least overcome um, that as a barrier to how they're seen, how they're interacted with, how they speak. Um, do you feel your listeners are actually, you know, getting tips and tricks on how to basically navigate the world as men? I think so. And I think it's implied. I, I am not the type of person who likes to beat people over the head with uh, specific examples of toxic masculinity and saying this is toxic behavior. But I do think that hearing people's stories and being able to perhaps empathize or see a different perspective from the things that people are talking about without, again, and I apologize because my radiator is really <laughs> loud. And this is what happens when you live in a New York City apartment. But I, it's almost like by osmosis. Like, the goal for me is to make people think and to make myself think and maybe even make the person speaking think. And, you know, I think if you think about the stuff that's being said independently without me, like nudging you in a particular direction and, you know, you'll come to your own conclusions and then ultimately get to a point where you're like, oh, well, what this person said really opened up a light, like it turned on a light bulb in my head. So I, I noticed, too, um, with a lot of them, a lot of your guests, uh, myself included, that we all have, the, and, and you mentioned it maybe like 45 sec seconds ago, this idea and concept of self-improvement. And uh, you and I spent a great deal of time talking about that. I hope we can do that again, not necessarily on a podcast in the yes, future. Yes, absolutely. But um, I, I, I do want to bring up, you know, so you have, a, you know, a very interesting background, but what our listeners can't see um, is that you're a black man. Yes. And so how does, if at all, how does that play into the concept of um, how people view you and your masculinity being polyamory, uh, being openly gay, um, being in a, in a music industry that, that can be at times uh, toxic in general, not just uh, you yeah, know, not masculinity, just right? Yeah, it's toxic, period. Um, I think I confuse people. <laughs> <laughs> which I, I take a very perverse kind of pleasure in. I like, like, I like, I like fucking with people's heads. And um, I don't think I subscribe to what a lot of people who are not exposed to a variety of, of people on a regular basis would think of a black man. I don't think that I subscribe to what a lot of people who are not exposed to a variety of people would think of a queer man. Um, and it's not like, I don't, I don't act certain ways just to be confrontational or to make a point. It is, I am who I am. Um, and there are parts of me that are very stereotypical, but, uh, you know, I, I do think that my blackness, uh, I think my blackness informs literally every single thing I do from the minute I wake up in the morning until I go to bed at night and possibly even when I'm asleep. Um, my queerness is not is not as foregrounded as, you know, you see the color of my skin the second I walk into a door. Um, you don't know what my sexual orientation is uh, until I volunteer it to you. Um, so I do think that that uh, my the color of my skin definitely is, is foregrounded in a way that uh, makes it impossible for me to not contend with. 
Um, and, you know, I don't think it's really possible for other people to not contend with it. They can pretend that they're colorblind and like, oh, we don't see color, like, blah, 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 whatever. But that's a lie. So, <laughs> I, you know, um, I, it informs everything I do. And, you know, there have been things specific to my cultural background. I, you know, I grew up in New York City in the 1980s and in early 90s. And there are things that are very specific to that kind of upbringing and being, you know, in a, a, you know, working class or lower middle class or whatever it was kind of household, an immigrant household at that matter, um, that shaped the person that I was, some of which is good and some of which is incredibly toxic. Um, so, uh, you know, stuff that I've been having to work through over the years um, and, and didn't have the tools really to work through until fairly recently. And, um, you know, I try to bring that part of me on, on every journey that I'm on. And uh, it definitely informs, you know, everything that I do. And, and it always sounds like when I talk to you that you always seem to be in a, in a great space, uh, mentally, personally, but, but I, but, I, but I know, I know from listening to you talk, uh, in, in the past, um, that it, it's, it's a long journey and it has been a long journey for you. Um, and, uh, you also talk quite a bit about the importance of mental health and, uh, folks seeing a therapist, whether they feel they need it or not, um, how has that? How has your your journey through mental health uh, issues, therapists, really kind of brought you to where you, at least, appear to be today? I mean, it's an ongoing journey, and some days are great, some days are not so great. I, I discovered therapy. It, it goes back to what I was saying just a minute ago about sort of toxic parts of my culture, and there is. I think in Black culture, in uh, Afro-Caribbean culture, in Afro-Latin culture, uh, a distrust uh, or, or of a certain age, a, a distrust of medical health, of mental health professionals, and a lack of knowledge about mental health in general. Um, you know, I grew up primarily raised by my grandparents who were born in 1926 and 1938 and came to this country in the early 70s and were, again, like working class people. Like they didn't know nothing about therapy. They knew psychologists from maybe what they watched on TV once or twice. And, you know, I think there's a lot of colonized thinking among black people where it's just like, oh, if you're going to see a therapist, it's like you're going to the master and telling the master what's going on on the plantation. Um, and that is very dangerous uh, because it, 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 it causes you to normalize things that maybe you shouldn't normalize, keep things inside that will rot you from the inside out. Um, so I finally made the decision to see a therapist when I was 31. And, um, you know, there have been bumps along the way. I've seen a variety of therapists and a variety of different modalities uh, and, um, you know, I've had some great experiences and some not great experiences, but the one thing, while I may regret my experiences with specific clinicians, I don't regret making the journey to start therapy. Uh, again, I think it's something that everybody should do. I think people who think that they don't need to see a therapist need to see a therapist more than people who do think they need to see a therapist. Um, and I think, you know, while it may be frustrating to find a good fit, and while, you know, it might be frustrating to find people who take your insurance, if you have insurance, it might be tough to find people who uh, you can afford. I think once you do find the right fit, uh, it, it's, and even if you don't have a great fit, the personal growth won't be as great necessarily, but there will be personal growth and you will learn things about yourself that you are better off knowing. So I know, you know, there's a lot of fear when folks say, you know, they hear therapy and, you know, maybe that's what's keeping them from going to see a therapist. And there's also a little bit of trial and error, right? It's not it's not a mm -hmm. one size fits all. You just can't go in the phone book that's showing my age um, and <laughs> and look up therapists. And, and <laughs> yeah, right. And, and, you know, just, you know, pick the first one and, and then go and that's it. And also, you know, if you're if you're unsatisfied with with you know, the results or whatever it is you're talking through or hearing from your current therapist, you can change them. 
Um, mm-hmm. But how do you, or, or what would you recommend for folks to, uh, you know, break that fear barrier of, of getting in and seeing a therapist? Just do it. Uh, I, I think a lot of people procrastinate out of fear and then months go by and years go by and it doesn't solve anything if you don't do it. So I think it, it it's just, it's a mental, I mean, it, it's obviously a mental thing, but just do it. Go, it, it may be the phone book if you're one of those people who has those phone <laughs> books, but, you know, go to psychologytoday.com. Go to, if you have uh, health insurance, go to your insur- insurance carrier's website. Go to, go to ZocDoc. Everybody uses ZocDoc to find other doctors. Mental health is so stigmatized because it's something that, something that you can't see. If I had uh, a cyst or a tumor, you can see that. If I have a nosebleed, you can see that. Um, mental health, you know, mental illness, depression or anxiety or, you know, PTSD isn't something that you can see visibly. So a lot of people don't take it seriously as an illness. They're like, oh, you just need to buck up or nut up or man up or whatever the hell it is. And, and that's damaging because, you know, we all carry shit with us as we travel through our lives and we need to reason that stuff out because if we don't carry it with us, it's never going to, if we continue to carry it with us, it's never going to go away. It's never going to be resolved. Um, So I think just, you know, even if you're starting from a a viewpoint of, eh, there's nothing really wrong with me, but maybe I just have a couple of questions that I need answered. Talk to somebody. And also, I mean, I, I think that people, you know, there are two other schools of thought. One is people who are super religious and they're like, hey, I'm not going to see a therapist. God's going to get me through. And then the other school of thought, which is, you know, I have family and friends and, you know, our spouse or whatever it is, and they'll get me through. The great thing about a therapist is that they're impartial. Like you are paying them. They are not invested in you in a way that they're going to sugarcoat anything the way that even the person that loves you the most is like, maybe I don't want to hurt so-and-so's feelings right now. So I'm going to soft pedal. Yeah, there's, there's a little bit of bias really... there. Yeah. Or, you yeah. know, if you're talking to your friends, you know, I mean, I'm guilty of it too, where you become that person's echo chamber because you see it exactly through their eyes and you're like, yeah, 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 you're right. right. That is messed up. And, it's, right. <laughs> and, it, just, and, it, and it doesn't help them. It, it just amplifies their, their current feelings and they, they find no resolution in that. Right. And I just, I look at it like this. You know, if you have a friend who's who has bad breath and you never tell them that he has or him or her or them that they have bad breath, they're never going to fix the problem. Um, so a therapist is someone who is going to call you out and tell you that you have that your breath stinks. And they might do it in a nice way, but they're not going to. You know, they're not going to dance around it in a way that doesn't address the issue. No, that's that's actually a great analogy on that one. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue talking with Mike Joseph. Hey, have you heard of SHIP, a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing culturally inclusive, medically accurate, and pleasure-guided sexuality education, therapy, and professional training to adults? You can find us online at weknowship.org. We provide the sex education you deserve, and we know sexual health includes pleasure. So one thing, Mike, I wanted to bring back up, it's actually a conversation that you and I had uh, when I was on your uh, your podcast, and you had just brought up a moment ago about being Afro-Latina, uh, Afro-Latinx, mm-hmm. uh, sorry. Um, does that, um, let's dig into that a little bit, because I know we have quite a few of our listeners who share a very similar background in that regard, um, and also have some of the same feelings you do about therapy or fear of going to uh, going to a therapist. Now, um, can you talk a little bit about your upbringing, um, both as someone who's black and someone who's Latinx? Sure. Um, so my, both of my parents were born in the Caribbean. Uh, my mom, my mom was born on the island of Curacao and my father was born in Guyana. Um, and you know, a little asterisk footnote to that is that I, uh, just started a relationship with my dad less than six months ago. Um, so there's that, 
So I was raised primarily by my mom's parents, who were both born uh, in San Pedro de de Macorís in the Dominican Republic. Um, So, and grew up in, in, you know, between DR and Aruba and Curacao. So while they didn't identify as solid Dominicano, um, they, you know, were born and raised in Dominican Republic, had family in the Dominican Republic. I went to Santo Domingo once when I was very young. Um, And, you know, my identity more than anything uh, in my, during my upbringing was more like Afro-Caribbean. You know, the, the, uh, the Latin part was de-emphasized somewhat. And I never really felt like I was African-American because black Americans and, you know, black people who come from other countries have different experiences a lot of the times and, you know, different customs and, and, you know, just kind of different ways that they, they do things. So, you know, for me, black is kind of a catch-all, but there is, uh, you know, there's a lot beneath the surface there. So you, you mentioned uh, kind of like the, the Latin aspect kind of being de-emphasized. And now I'm, I'm familiar with that concept um, with uh, folks from Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. where, you know, there was a big push to Americanize, if you will, um, the folks on the island. And it was, you know, it was... Um, looked upon favorably if you were a little bit lighter skinned than everybody else mm-hmm. or that if you spoke English. And even today, you can see where that attempt um, of the Americanization kind of, you know, clashed against a couple of things where, you know, and, and this is a little bit off of what we're talking about, but kind of proves the point is where when you go to, you know, fill up for gas, you're paying per liter. But when you're driving on the road, you're driving a miles per hour, mm-hmm. you know, so so it never completely took place. Um, I'm, I'm curious as to what was the driving factor in de-emphasizing that Latin part within, within your family? I think it was being in America. I'm the first American born member of my entire family. Um, everybody that's older than me speaks Spanish. Most of the kids my age and younger do not speak Spanish. Um, you know, most of the, uh, elders on my mom's side of the family speak Dutch because that's the language that was spoken in Aruba and Curacao, um, I do not know how to speak Dutch. And a lot of my younger siblings, cousins, et cetera, uh, don't speak Dutch. So it was really, I think, an effort to Americanize. And I, I, I remember, I, you know, I took Spanish for a number of years in school and I, I'm, I'm sort of functionally okay at it. But I remember being a kid and my grandparents making kind of a half-hearted effort to try to make me speak Dutch or try to get me to speak Dutch. And then I think they got to a point where they were like, you know what? Let's not even teach him because that way we can talk about him and he won't understand what we're saying. <laughs> so I think that's interesting. So so first American born, um, I am, uh, so I am on half of my biological side, first American born as well, but that's a whole nother conversation. We briefly touched on it. Um, so, and I, and I mentioned at the time that I think it's interesting that, you know, folks who were born here are very quick to claim ancestry from someplace else, right? So, you know, oh, I'm Italian, I'm this, I'm that, anything but American. But when something happens, the first thing they say is, you know, America, you know, we're, <laughs> we're, we're Americans, Right. Um, But yet they they, for some reason have to carry that ancestry banner. And I think there is a healthy way to do that without appropriating it. And I'm just curious, you know, now, you know, uh, obviously, as an adult, is that something that you you wish to do that you because you missed out on it, perhaps um, growing up more American? Uh, I think so, in a way, you know, when I was younger, there was definitely a part of me that wanted to, I don't know if I was explicitly denied, I've never explicitly denied my upbringing, but uh, I can say, especially there were, there were three years that I lived in Michigan, which is where my mom and my stepdad lived. And at least in New York, in Brooklyn, where I grew up, everybody in the neighborhood I grew up in was from the Caribbean, you know, whether they were Jamaican or Haitian or, you know, Puerto Rican, whatever it was. So it wasn't, um, unusual. It was the norm almost, uh, you know, when I was in elementary school and junior high school in New York, 
Um, but the three years that I lived in Michigan, at you know, having any kind of non-American black background was, you know, you were exotic. It, it was unusual. And, and I think I took um took sort of subliminal notes from my mom because my mom, I think, definitely tried to de-emphasize her non the non-American part of her blackness. Um, and, you know, you speak to her now, she has a very like flat Midwestern accent. Um, and there, there's, there's no Caribbean lilt to it, uh, um, unless she's in a mood. Um, but as I got older, it, it really became important to me to recognize every part of, of my being. And, you know, look, I'm still an Americanized dude. Um, but there are parts of me, you know, food that I grew up eating, um, you know, cultural, other cultural things that I grew up, you know, music I grew up listening to that I'm, I'm very proud of in retrospect. So I'm curious too, um, you know, with the, with the mentalities that exist and, and still exist, you know, in the Caribbean and other places, how does the rest of your family feel with, you know, um, one, you know, obviously with your, with your sexuality, with your style of relationships, um, but also in, in probably more importantly for this podcast, um, the work that you're doing with, with mental health, sexual education, and, and your podcast. Um, you could probably split that up along age lines. I think the older people in my family are just kind of like, what the hell did we, what happened to him? Um, whereas I think a lot of the younger folks are uh, maybe not totally 100% supportive, but they're with it. They understand. Um, I think uh, the younger folks have had the benefit of growing up in more culturally diverse times. You know, they understand alternative sexuality. Uh, they understand mental health. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate that my youngest aunt married uh, um, a guy who is a psychologist. Um, so there's at least a part of my family that actually does understand to some extent, you know, depression and anxiety and and, and all that stuff. So I, it could be a lot worse. I think the the members of my family that are uncomfortable with it just don't talk don't talk about it. Um, and you know, as a result of that, unfortunately, I'm estranged from a good chunk of my family. Um, but uh, you know, I'm gonna be me, and and they got to deal with it. Hey everyone, Ship will never stop creating spaces that provide opportunities to engage in candid, shame-free conversations about sexuality, and we are committed to building a more sexually literate society so that more of these spaces can exist. In order to do that, we need your help. Consider joining the Sex Ed Squad by visiting weknowship.org. Our Sex Ed Squad members are the very foundation of our work because changing our sex-negative culture requires a long-term strategy in your long-term investment. All gifts, no matter the size, have an impact. So welcome back, everyone. We had a little commercial break, and then I broke Josh's phone because um, I didn't want him to do the whole episode on his own. Um <laughs> So I'll do the bottom half of the episode, uh, mostly because I couldn't stop myself from wanting to jump in uh, since we were talking about Caribbean things. And obviously, um, that's where I'm from. So it, I was all excited because um, I'm as some of the I don't remember if I've mentioned it on a previous episode or not, but I was born and raised in Puerto Rico, um, Afro-Latina. Um, and technically Afro-Caribbean as well, but I'm the opposite of Mike, where my Latinidad was the more emphasis more than the Caribbean-ness. Right. So that, that was one of the things that I found very interesting on how your household switched that around, even though we're pretty much neighbors. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and to determine why that happened I you know I've never actually asked a member of my family why that was um but uh yeah it, there's always been the emphasis has always been on, on on the Caribbean part over the Dominican part that's that's very interesting and I I wonder if um part of the reason is 
for folks that are in the Caribbean or in Latin America in general that are not Spanish speaking, so this doesn't count for Santo Domingo, but it does count for the Dutch side of your family. Mm -hmm. There is a little bit of an alienation from the rest of the community, because when we talk about uh, Latinx and Latinidad, we always emphasize the Spanish and mm -hmm. our language is what unites us, but that's not really true. It's our geographical location that binds us together um, in a way that it's different than other places because it's such a big expanse of, of, of land. Um, but we are trying to like glump everything, everyone together, and that right. really work. Right, right. No, you're absolutely right. Um, and, you know, again, I, I, it's interesting because I, I, I'm actually trying to think of in my head, like, which was spoken more, Dutch or Spanish, and I don't really remember. Um, hmm. I mean, English was definitely the primary, when people are communicating, were communicating to me, um, they're like, this kid only understands English. So, and sometimes we wonder about that. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I, you know, I think it just depended on which relative was talking to which relative at which time, uh, you know, it, the conversation would be in Spanish or Dutch or, uh, you know, Papimento, which is like a fusion of languages that's spoken in Aruba and Curacao um, or in English or in all four at the same time. Yeah, um, I cannot imagine how that must have felt. Uh, in my household, it's just Spanish. So <laughs> when my sister and I wanted to talk about other people, we will talk in English. English. Um, because we grew up knowing both Spanish and English, even though we were in the island. And my parents, well, my dad doesn't remember much. Um, he had a lot of brain things happen to him. So he doesn't remember the language. My mom never picked up. English because she didn't want to and right. that's not a fault of her I'm just saying it like she didn't want to because she didn't want to she didn't need to there's no need why would you impose another people's language on me right um right. which was her small nudge of rebellion given what Josh had mentioned before of the the Americanization of the island um that happened while my mom was a kid so her small rebellion was like i'm not i'm not learning that i get that i you know it makes me think about you know i mentioned my youngest aunt and her husband a, a few minutes ago and my aunt's husband is puerto rican and um you know his parents are, are from the island and i whenever they came over for like thanksgiving dinner or whatever the entire conversation at thanksgiving was in spanish uh in my family and his family and uh, I was always like the odd person out because it's Just like, I don't know. Twiddling your thumbs. Yeah. Like, <laughs> can I get more turkey? Like, I, what's going on here? I don't know what's going on. <laughs> um, but there was also a little bit of that kind of rebellion either because uh, as well, because um, I don't think that either of his parents spoke English really unless they absolutely had to. Yeah. And it's it's and a it, weird feeling. Yeah. And in New York City, you don't have to. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's uh, there's plenty of places that you definitely don't need the English, and I should go there again. Um, <laughs> that's just a side note. Um, you also mentioned uh, as part of your intro that you do a lot of sex education. So, can you explain to our lovely audience uh, what do you do in that section? Well, I think it, it ties into the mental health stuff, right? Um, I think a lot of a lot of people are repressed. And I was once a repressed person. And I think that me being repressed took a toll on my mental health. And um, I was invited to uh, join a lovely podcast called Life on the Swing Set uh, six or seven years ago. And at first, I was invited on to talk about mental health. And then I was invited back to talk about being Black in the polyamorous community. And then uh, the, the hosts of the show uh, were like, you know what? Do you want to do this permanently? And I was like, okay, why not? And uh, for a little over a year, I was a regular co-host. Uh, and then I kind of took some time away to do my own thing. And I am allegedly now back as a regular <laughs> co-host, although I haven't actually done a new episode yet, but uh, I'm, I'm part of the team again. And uh, I, 
I don't know. It's for me, it's super fulfilling work because it takes like with mental health. Again, it takes something that so many people consider taboo and makes it untaboo. And I think when people are unashamed to speak their truth, it makes their truth that more powerful. And it also gives people inspiration to be their true selves. Well, we certainly support talking about sex and sex education. Um, that is literally the entire mission of, entire what, of, of what CHIP is. Uh, <laughs> so we, we, we wholeheartedly support that and uh, always happy to talk about it. But, but you're right. It is, it is. And by the way, I'm back. I apologize that I had to step away. Um, you know, it, it is a topic that a lot of our guests mentioned, you know, it, growing up, they had no one really that they could talk to about it, discuss, explore. Um, and, you know, even, you know, those that, that did have that, the landscape has changed so, so much that, you know, the, the language, the resources, the, the tools um, that existed 10 years ago have grown exponentially. Don't laugh at that. I said tools. That's right. Um, maybe, maybe we should, maybe we should petition to start doing sex toy reviews on this podcast. <laughs> you might get some free stuff too. Um, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. So, I mean, so it, it, it's, it's really important. And I mean, all of them say, you know, that, that it sometimes it can be a really uncomfortable conversation and, and a lot of folks don't know where to start. And, you know, for me, when I was kind of getting into this as well, it was like, well, where do I start? And it was like, just start. Kind of like your your topic on, on getting a therapist. Just start. You know, just start. It, it, you're going to say some awkward things. It's going to feel funny, but just say it. You know, and if it if you're the type of person that giggles when you say certain words, just say them. Get it yeah. out there, you know? It's amazing to me. Not amazing to me because it's so normal, but people are so repressed and a afraid of, of so many things. And I just can't imagine going through life with all of this stuff inside of you that you, you feel so inhibited to get out. Like, I, I just, like, how can you be fulfilled as a person if you are not, if you're not being true to yourself? Right. And, and that, that journey of being true to yourself doesn't have to look the same every day. Doesn't have to look the same year to year. You can start, like Josh said, you can start by doing the funny things, asking the, the funny questions of like, what lube should I use? Those are the questions of the mechanics of sets that you always wanted to ask. Um, and you can ask us and we can use them on the podcast. Um, <laughs> after you get that, you can start digging deeper on how do you set your boundaries? Um, how do you advocate for yourself? How do you honor who you are, who you truly are in when you're interacting with others? And how do you make sure that they're also respecting that? And asking those bigger, bigger questions about yourself, you don't go from zero to 60 in immediately. You can start by doing the funny things and, and giving the giggles and going to the, the set shop and looking at toys and, and all giggling. But then after that, you're opening yourself up to having those minimum mi meaningful thoughts and maybe conversations with others, but at least having those thoughts with yourself. Mm -hmm. Baby steps. So the, yeah. the three of us are all on a common Discord channel. And uh, there's, there's someone on there who's been asking quite a few questions. Um, and they were like, you know, I'm really sorry. I have all these questions. And it's like, no, you know, you are in the right place. Please ask bring them. It, you will, bring it in. you know, I, I can't think of a more supportive group of people that are like, oh yeah, well, if you're familiar with this, you know, like she was asking about, you know, what, what Vima had mentioned, she was asking about lube. And so she brought up two and everyone was like, oh, if that's the limit that you've got, you have a whole new world waiting for you. <laughs> I just I looked in the thread and there's like 20 different lube recommendations. I was like, wow, the yep. knowledge base of this group is uh, pretty yeah. in incredible. There, there's even now a, a sex toy spreadsheet. Yes, and there's that, a spreadsheet. Yep. Authored by yours truly. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I did have to complain at one point, however, um, because all of the toys focused on um, humans with vaginas. Mm. Yeah. And I and I complained because there are some toys for for humans with penises. My response was like, put them on the list because yeah, this I, is a group effort. And, and, <laughs> and, and I did. 
And all humans have butts. And yes. there are toys for those too. Yeah. <laughs> Apologies if there's somebody out there listening who does not have an ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we have recommendations for that too. Yeah, exactly. We do. <laughs> exactly. So um, I know we kind of veered off the rails for a little bit because uh, I tried to break Josh's phone and that didn't work. So he's back. Um, but one thing that you had mentioned and the reason why I broke jo Josh's phone uh, to jump into the call was uh, you were talking about everybody needs to go to therapy. And mm -hmm. if you think you don't need therapy, you should be in therapy. Um, so I find that I wholeheartedly agree, but I'm remembering the thoughts from my extended family and mentioning in your fa in my type of family, a Latinx uh, family, that you're going to therapy was as if you said that you killed someone's mother. So yeah. how do you recommend reconciling that? You know, I, and I don't think I ever consciously did this. I, I think I got to a point in my life when I was like, look, this is what I'm doing. And if you can't deal with it, then you can't deal with it. Uh, you know, I love my family. I, I love uh, what my family represents. But if you're not with me on this journey, I'm not going to change my journey to accommodate you. Um, so if you can't get behind me going to therapy, or if you're afraid of me letting out family secrets or whatever it is, what are you afraid of? Mm. Like, maybe you need to relieve yourself. You know, maybe you need to, to, uh, get stuff off your chest. And, you know, I'd suggest if you're so adamantly against therapy, then you probably really, really, really need therapy. Right. So we need to fight against the, the saying, um, the saying in Spanish of the los trapos sucios se lavan en la casa, meaning you, you clean your dirty dishes or cloth um, in your house, inside and the house, inside the house, mm -hmm. which was the way for us to be told you, you don't go around and, and air uh, the problems of the family to the outside world. And that got translated to including a therapist. Um, so that's something that as immigrants, as Latinx, as Caribbean, that is one of the things that we should let go of that notion that we can't seek help, that we can't confide in others, we can't trust others are outside the nucleus. That's just a way to, to keep problems festering. Um, a situation isn't going to be solved if you keep it locked in a box. Um, and, it, and I'm not saying you need to go out and tell everybody, but, you know, the, the therapist is a cone of trust. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, you're telling a person, you're not telling the world. And this stranger doesn't know, you know, this stranger doesn't have a relationship with anybody else in your family or in your life other than you. So, you know, I, I think it... it like there's so much cultural stigma attached to talking to a professional. And a lot of that is just really detrimental um, because, you know, coming from a family that has a lot of secrets, some of which, you know, are, are pretty damaging. Uh, it's felt like such a relief to get all of this stuff off my chest. And also just as somebody who was in a closet for such a long time about so many things, it's nice to just not have that burden anymore. You know, one thing I tell people sometimes is like, it's so nice to not have to think of a lie or try to keep your mm. story straight or, or any of that stuff. Like I, you can just be you and it's such a relief. Like as minorities, we're burdened as it is. Like it's nice to at least take that off of it. Yeah, it's, it's easier. I know it's scary to come out of the closet and think that you're not doing the honor of your family that mm -hmm. you're sharing that but it's easier to combat those thoughts and that that fight that you may get from your extended family if you're true to yourself because yeah. then you're still standing on solid ground and you have all the strength to say uh-uh this is that's how i am and if you don't like it you can like go pound sand pretty much right right <laughs> and you know what if you're really if i really mean that much to you you come around I and mean, i was again, in the closet for a long time, because it was like, oh, I'm going to bring shame to my family. 
and you're going to be like, oh, you know, we raised this faggot and blah, 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 and you're going to die of AIDS and so on and so on because, you know, it was the 80s and 90s. And I was like, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. And then you're just burdened trying to make up all these stories and be like, oh, here's my girlfriend. And like, no, that didn't happen. And kind of all this stuff. And now it's just kind of like, you know what? I am who I am. Um, I'm, you know, by the grace of whoever is still alive and healthy and successful. And if you can't deal with it, that's on you and not on me. And yeah. I'm, I'm sad that I put that burden on myself for so long because I feel like I wasted valuable time doing that. Yeah, I I, I hear you. Um, one of the things I, I was talking to to a coworker not that long ago, they were trying to understand the cultural cultural difference between the American family and the Latinx family, where we are a family centric uh, nucleus, while the American culture it's a self self centered nucleus. It's mm -hmm. not in a bad way, but it's more my feelings first and then the family. While in our culture, it's the opposite, and it's it's something that I always found beautiful about our culture, but it does bring when there are problems, the problems get amplified because you're trapped in that bubble of the family and the problems keep bouncing back into you. And I think that's the difference between the family that you're born into and the family that you create. I love the concept of family. I grew up in a house where there were aunts, uncles, cousins, family friends, second cousins, third cousins. All, you know, there were people in like nine, 10 people in the house all the time, at least. And I love the idea of that, but, you know, there were 10 people with their own agendas trying to convert everybody to one agenda, as opposed to, you know, 10 people who were there because they really like each other as human beings and want to live, you know, in, in a community together. And um, I just think the second one is a lot more healthy than, than the first one is. Yeah, absolutely. I and I'm the same way. I I feel like family is such in, such an important aspect of who I am, but that doesn't mean that I'm talking about blood family. Right. Um I'm actually estranged with everybody in my family except for my parents and my sister. Um I pretty much don't talk to anybody else and it it is heartbreaking, but the alternative would have been to be in that cesspool of agendas, like you said it. And I prefer to just build my own family with Josh's family, with the friends that we've met over time that have become our family, that we will drop everything in the moment that we hear our phones go off because they need something. And those Absolutely. are our family now. Well, I think Absolutely. I think that's one of the benefits too, of, you know, when you're, when you're in a community like ours is when you are open with, you know, with everybody, you're honest with yourself you get to do that. And that is a benefit of that. So if folks are afraid, you know, realize that on the other end of that is is this beautiful thing that you get to build. Um, and that is a sense of community. And that that goes a long way, a long, long way. Absolutely. Okay, we are hitting about the top of the hour. Um, so Mike, we have a couple of hot seat questions for you. And then we're gonna. This give, my favorite part. <laughs> and then we're gonna give you some uh, some time to to plug whatever it is you'd like to plug and let us know where we can find you and hear more about you. Um, Before we get to the hot seat okay. questions, one question: Can okay. I pass? Can you what? Can I pass? Absolutely not. If, you could. <laughs> you could, but I, I don't. I don't, won't. I don't think you're gonna have a problem with them. I probably won't. Okay. So, okay. first question is: Would you rather have a home on the beach or in the mountains? On the beach. Cupcakes or muffins? Oh, shit. Muffins. <laughs> muffins. All right. Are you a Marvel fan? Uh, sort of. Okay. Casually. Do you, do you have a favorite Marvel movie? I don't think I have a favorite Marvel movie. Okay. What's your favorite movie? Of all time? Ever? Sure. Uh, Back to the Future. If you had to pick an animal... Which animal do you find the sexiest of all? That's a hard question. Ooh. Uh, I want to say one of those, like a panther or like a, a, a 
one of those sort of like night prowling cat type animals. Yeah. I'll, I'll buy it as a panther, puma. Okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. I have no clue what a puma looks like, but it looks like, go with that. It looks like a panther. I think they're okay. the same. Like I think they're. I think color. they're the same thing. <laughs> okay. okay. Not anything but a uh, uh, anything but a. I don't remember what the name of the stupid animal is called anymore in Mexico. Uh, oh, uh, no, no, yeah, anything but a koati. Yeah. <laughs> Or, or the raccoons that are randomly in Mexico. Yes. Okay. Wrong answer only. Why is there fuzz on a tennis ball? Because anytime tennis balls are made in the tennis ball factory, people have to dig in their belly buttons and pull out all the lint. I can so so Vima had muted her mic, but I can hear her laughing from downstairs. <laughs> oh my god! I'm so sorry. Um, that is one of the best answers we've gotten to that question. All right, and the last question is: What sound does a fox make? Uh 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 uh, uh or whatever the whatever. <laughs> Those... And also, you're one of the few that has recognized that that comes from a song, which doesn't surprise me. You are, me. yeah, it's, that is true. Most people don't recognize where that's from, and, and we've had quite a few interesting uh, responses to that. I bet. I'll leave it there. So, Mike, where can where can folks find more about you, hear more from you? Um. Well, the Detoxicity Podcast is on every podcast platform you can imagine. So you can uh, find it there. Uh, I am on Instagram at Detox Pod Guy. I am on Twitter at Tis Mike Joseph. Um, at some point, I'll be back on Life on the Swing Set, and there is a large chunk of episodes on which you can hear my voice. Um, I, I can't date stamp those uh, specifically, but I'm on a bunch. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of all over the place, so pretty easy to find if you uh, if you want to find me. Great. And uh, so we're going to sign off now. Mike, it's been great talking with you. Thank you for having me. And and both of you and I love you just so much. So we're glad yes. you could be on the podcast. Yes, indeed. Love you back. <laughs> You've been listening to Virgin Territory, a podcast by SHIP, a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing culturally inclusive, medically accurate, and pleasure-guided sexuality, education, therapy, and professional training to adults. You can visit us online at weknowship.org. Um, oh, was that an intentional pause? No, she owned no, I, and I was I, waiting I for her to... Yeah, and I and I froze, and um, I'm just going to shut up, though. <laughs> you have that as a blooper, don't you? I probably will. Our last episode had bloopers. Every episode yeah. has bloopers. I like to do them. Yeah. yeah. Did you have anything else? I had one more question, but we have to go back to um, Latinx thoughts. Sure. <laughs> <laughs>